Hello, my name is Alexa, and I would like to welcome you to the Weird Wacky Wonderful Stories podcast, one of my favorite shows, featuring Shelley and Bella. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 60 of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. What the hell was that? I just felt like singing because of our new environment. Oh, yes, our new studio. Yes, we are in our new studio, so hopefully this sounds really good to you. If it doesn't, it was all for nothing. Yes, and we spent a lot of money on home not improvement. I think it's an improvement. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Check our social media or follow us on Facebook and have a look at some of the photos that we've put up of our new working space. Our working space. It's more like volunteer space. Because uh, yeah. we, we don't get any money for this. No, it's costing <laughs> us a bloody fortune. <laughs> yeah. Yep, it was a hobby that turned into a... Blood-sucking, money-sucking... Sucker. Soul-pinching... Sucker. Life-sucking sucker. sucker. <laughs> So, what have we got in store for our wonderful listeners today? Well, I will tell them, but there's just one thing I want to say first. I did say on the last podcast that we would be doing the draw for the Haunted Yorkshire book by Nick Tyler on the next episode, which theoretically would be this one. However, this one is actually being recorded a day after we recorded the last one. So it's actually going to be on the one after this, okay? So on the next podcast, promise you, episode 61, we will do the draw for the Haunted Yorkshire book which is signed by Nick Tyler, the author. All you have to do is leave us a good review and then email it to us at mail at weirdwackywonderful.co.uk or follow us on our Facebook page, which is Weird Wacky Wonderful Stories Podcast. Just look that up and find us. Follow us on there, like our page, whatever, and we will automatically enter you into the draw. Okay, so back to what I asked you ages ago. What's happening today? So on this episode, we speak to an author and researcher we've had the pleasure of speaking to on two previous occasions on the show. She's the author of about 23 books by my count, many of which are bestsellers on subjects like the paranormal, conspiracies, ancient knowledge, unknown mysteries, and cutting-edge science. She's an ex-MUFON investigator, has appeared on big shows like Coast to Coast AM and History Channel's Ancient Aliens. She's a regular contributor to magazines including New Dawn, Fate, Paranoia magazines. She's a member of CERT, the Community Emergency Response Team, and has her own production company called Where's Lucy Productions. And I feel like after that list, I need to be adding and a partridge in a pear tree. (laughs) On Instagram, she's the queen of memes. Please welcome to the show, Marie D. Jones. Did you just call me the queen of memes? I think I like that. You're the queen of memes on Instagram. I loved that one you did the other day of the pig lying down, just just totally splayed out. Oh, yeah. That's me most days. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like that. I'm going to add that to my my resume. Queen of memes. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? It's funny because Bella actually had a pig and a little bit of synchronicity here. Its name was Lucy. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I always wanted a pig, a little pig, maybe someday. My chihuahua might not like that, but (laughs) we'll see. (laughs) The pig I had, it used to open the refrigerator and the dog loved it, loved the pig. Oh, my God. (laughs) Partners in crime. Yeah. Oh, my God. They're very smart. And I guess they're like cleaner than dogs and cats they are yeah yeah they are very very smart yes too smart (laughs) well we're obviously going to be talking about your new book today which is celebrity ghosts and notorious hauntings yeah oh this is a fun one and it's getting a really good uh, reception because i think people are shocked by just how many stories i have managed to cram into this one book And then what's funny is then people start telling me stories that they know of. And I feel like I'm already getting enough material for volume two. two. (laughs) It's just amazing. And, you know, I really like the publisher asked that I focus on um, the United States and Canada. 
And I, you know, I did, I mainly focused on that, but I also included some outside, you know, like haunted castles and things like that. So I honestly, there's probably two more books, if not more worth of material, you really start to realize how many haunted locations, ghost stories, and urban legends are out there when people go, oh, you know, you didn't include, or, or, oh, by the way, in my town, we have got this, 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 and this. It's like, oh, let me write this down. Let me write this down. Well, I noticed (laughs) that you include, talking about the fact that you include people from around the world as well, you include the original cure for the headache, King Henry VIII. Uh, What I was asked to do was write about celebrity ghosts. And I thought, well, you know, to me, celebrity ghosts don't just include Elvis Presley, Marilyn Monroe, and the movie stars and rock stars and pop stars, certainly they are covered in the book. But I wanted to include historical ghosts because I think they're just as much celebrities in their own right. And to Mm. me, a celebrity ghost is just somebody who's well-known. Believe it or not, there are people who see ghosts of serial killers. Mm -hmm. So that kind of falls in there too. But yeah, Henry VIII, uh, his ghost has been seen uh, probably along with one of the wives that uh, he beheaded. Her ghost has been seen as well. Headless, of course. (laughs) So you have a lot of really creepy stories like that that, you know, happened elsewhere outside of the United States, especially the Haunted Castle section. That was really a lot of fun to find out, you know, Europe and, and England and Wales and Scotland and, oh my gosh, Germany and Austria, all the haunted older historical buildings like castles and and forts and that that was really fascinating you know america we're still kind of babies in our (laughs) history but you know we've got our battlefields and we have the white house which is overrun with ghosts but yeah i just i felt like oh i can't leave out some of these amazing stories that come from across the pond when you had the stories of the headless entities, were they ever carrying their heads like they do in the Scooby-Doo cartoons? Isn't that funny? Yes. Really? Um, <laughs> oh, right. oh, yeah, yeah. And in fact, so let's see. There was a headless figure reported from moving from the Queen's house to the Chapel Royal of St. Peter, where her remains were buried. She's one of the wives. And she carried her head. She wore a cloak with an empty hood, so she was faceless. And she held her head under her arms. And that's actually something that you hear about quite a bit, especially if somebody's been decapitated. Mm. You know, it's like they didn't want to leave a part of their body behind. I don't know if I would, if I were a ghost, if I would really care about that. But I guess, I guess maybe you do. You know, it's interesting because it does show that even after death, we are still in some ways attached to our bodies. And we don't want to, like, if, you know, you get a foot cut off or an arm. I mean, there have been urban legends, too, of ghostly apparitions and entities that are holding a limb You know, they're missing a limb, but they're holding it in their hands. It's almost like they're not quite ready to cross into the light. And they're maybe still hoping that they can get the missing part reattached somehow. Yeah, I don't know whether there would be any surgeons in the ER that are going to tackle that one. (laughs) Well, yeah, I I don't think so. But yeah, so actually that was uh, Anne Boleyn. The ghost of Anne Boleyn is the the headless one. You know, here in America, we have the headless horseman, Ichabod Crane story. But there there are quite a few that I kind of categorize them more as urban legends, which the word urban doesn't really mean anything because a lot of these happen in rural areas and suburbs, you name it. Was Ichabod Crane actually supposed to be a true story? Right. And that's what what I like about urban legends. So urban legends, as opposed to opposed to like a straight on ghost story with urban legends, you always start with a negative truth, either a real person or a real event, a real situation, something that actually happened. But it's been so um, embellished and retold, and oftentimes you really have to do a lot of research to get to the, the core, you know, exactly who was this or what exactly happened. They're almost like fairy tales or folklore, stories that get built up about around something factual. 
but they're fun. To me, they're like, it's like doing a puzzle, you know, and trying to get to the truth. And sometimes they're interchangeable and in that an, an urban legend will be a ghostly apparition that has just a really unusual story attached to it. One of the interesting things that I found in the research is that a lot of urban legends are the same no matter where in the world you are. So let's say the lady in white. I'm sure you guys have heard a million lady in white mm. ghost stories. And I've just, in casual conversations that I've had with people, you know, in different states here in the United States, in different countries, they have their own version of the lady in white, who usually is wearing something more Victorian era, era, but sometimes has a really modern, pretty, like a party dress on, always seen either weeping or crying, wandering along the riverbank or near a body of water. But also, she is a very popular ghost hitchhiker. So the lady in white is often seen in different parts of the country hitchhiking. And if you pull up to stop to try to to help her she just vanishes into thin air so i thought that was really fascinating that some of these notorious hauntings are very similar no matter where you go and kind of makes you wonder you know how many lady and whites are there is it something psychological that we're manifesting like a weird collective vision or something. Well, I've read somewhere, I can't remember where, but that a lot of the colors are actually sort of like archetypes for certain things. Or so the lady in white, like you said, is usually a hitchhiker. And then the lady in black is, is seen and she's got her own. Yeah, like around graveyards, cemeteries, yeah. those uh, kinds of things. Yeah, she seems a little more morbid. <laughs> I guess you could say. But I like that. I think, yeah, they could, they can be archetypal symbols because a lot of times the lady in white stories come down to a woman who was betrayed by a lover, um, jilted at the altar, or something really tragic happened. Her child died. So she's sort of that innocent, mourning, grieving symbol. Yeah. And the lady in black. You know, maybe her situation involved things like murder or trauma of some sort. And she's found in the darker place like graveyards, the cemeteries. And I mean, I think that that's a really interesting thing. Very rare do you hear about a ghost, a female ghost wearing bright colors like blue or yellow or red. It usually it's like white or black. Yeah. And it's interesting because you don't hear about men in white, you know, or, or men Monks. in black. We were speaking to Mark Reese on the last but one episode before this is going to air, and he was talking about things that have gone on in Wales, you know, ghosts that have been seen in Wales and, and different sort of curious things that have happened in Wales. And he mentioned to us about the fact that these white monks are seen, you know, dressed in their white clothes, whereas most monks of the day would be dressed in sort of a yeah, brownish sort color. of garb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But the monks that wore white were actually sort of the ones that would be helping out. They would be, they wouldn't be sort of like true monks, if you like. Even though there was a lot more real monks wearing the brown, it's only the ones in yeah. white that tend to be seen. So I don't know, maybe it's something to do with the frequencies that we're seeing them on, maybe. Yeah, Interesting, and maybe the maybe it has something to do with the fact that they themselves were more spiritual, or maybe more advanced, you know, spiritually, that they were able to then reappear, you know, as a ghost or an apparition, and and actually be aware of the fact that they have appeared to someone. Which you know, a lot of times ghosts are just imprinted images that just seem to be repeated patterns, somebody walking and pacing back and forth, and they really don't know or don't behave as though they're being observed. And yeah. then you have other ghosts that know they're being observed and actually may interact with the observer. Yeah. So you kind of wonder, there must be different kinds of ghosts, obviously. Like I think, you know, there's different kinds of UFO sightings. Why can we not apply that to ghosts? We've got imprints. We've got full-bodied apparitions. We have stuff that looks sort of like plasma. It doesn't really have a human form. We have things that only turn up on thermal imaging devices. And we have ghosts that actually communicate or interact. We have EVP where it's just an auditory 
So it seems like there's a lot of different things going on, Mm. you know, with the celebrity ghosts like Elvis and Marilyn Monroe. These are two ghosts that so many people have reported seeing, but they seem to be more imprinted on the locations and they're seen in locations that were important to them. Maybe their former homes, you know, where they're buried, favorite hangouts, places that they they like to be, like with Elvis in the recording studio in Nashville, Marilyn Monroe at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. So it's like their ghosts can pick and choose where they want to appear, but they seem to be very contained and that they're not interacting with people who are observing them. They're not trying to, you know, communicate and throw stuff at them. So the historical ghosts seem to be more of the imprint variety. So if it's the sort of imprint variety, like you said, more like the stone tape theory, would it be possible then, do you think, to have the ghost haunting two different locations at the same time? That was one thing that really threw me. I mean, I've been you know, doing this for quite a while. And this is the first time where I thought, you know, wow, Elvis has been seen all over the place. And he's been seen in different places at the same time. And somebody brought up a really funny point that really I had to actually think about. They said, well, maybe you're seeing the ghosts of some of the Elvis impersonators (laughs) because they loved him so much that they went and haunted the places that their idol wouldn't, you know, that very well could be true. Yeah, it could be. But Marilyn and John Lennon and there's other, uh, Abraham Lincoln, and there's other ghosts that you get the impression they travel or they move around. Then it gets you thinking that maybe this has more to do with us as the observers perceiving these ghosts rather than them actually being physically in more than one place. It goes back to that tulpa thing doesn't it where you yeah 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 and especially with famous people because like if the guy down the street dies and he just sort of passes in his sleep his ghost might appear to the people that knew him his family loved ones but when you have somebody on the level of a john lennon or you know a famous famous movie star pop star athlete what have you president, senator, a lot of people have emotional investments. You see how we get with our celebrities. A lot of people become obsessed, which of course I don't think is healthy, but it's like we know them. It's like we're a part of their family. And that does make me wonder if when they die, like Michael Jackson, when they die, we're not somehow manifesting these apparitions out of a weird need to, you know, be able to say, well, they didn't really die or they're, you know, they're on the other side and everything is okay. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that that's as good an explanation as, as any other. Well, I know people never really thought that Elvis died. You heard all about that. Well, I mean, he'd, he'd be pretty old now. Yeah, yeah. He just wanted to be left alone. <laughs> Yeah, that he didn't die, that he just went out of the public, yeah, out of the public eye and wanted to be just a normal person. Did people actually maybe see him for real? Because it'd be some weird thing like, oh, I saw Elvis mowing his lawn or something, you know? Yeah. Well, there was one story that a lot of people saw or claim they saw him at the Burger King that he liked to, to go to in his later years. You know, and it kind of makes you think, why do ghosts haunt certain locations why do ghosts haunt graveyards and cemeteries it's just their bodies are there it's not where they died it's not uh, a place of great positive or negative emotion for them where the initial trauma might have occurred and they're still trapped in that trauma Um, certainly if if we have a choice and i were a ghost i would be at the beach you know (laughs) i would be it or watching the, my loved ones or popping in on you know my son hey how's it going so that always made me wonder and I and I do believe that we are half the equation yeah we as the observers our expectations of where we think ghosts should be our imagination our attention and focus yes indeed there very well could be 
these ghosts and apparitions that people see. But it's almost like a virus. It's like contagious. Yeah. Because when you're getting reports that everybody is seeing these things. I'll give you guys a really creepy example of that sort of viral contagion is Slender Man. Now, Slender Man is a totally fictional entity that was created as part of a sort of horror story website creepypasta if you will became very famous when people actually started reported seeing this entity and then here in america we had two teenage girls stab a third teenage girl because they said slender man told them to yeah we heard about that over here yeah so there's another one called the rake R-A-K-E, the rake. If you Google it, you'll pull up all kinds of pictures. You'll say, oh, my gosh, I've seen reports of that, you know, and on paranormal websites. Totally fictional character. Same situation. Part of this, what we what I call fake lore instead of folklore. But somehow takes on an actual life of its own. And then you have people reporting that they're seeing it. What the heck is going on? Are they lying? Funnily enough, I read a post on Instagram just today where somebody said that they saw the rake. Oh, you're kidding. I, I'm so see, dead serious. Still going on? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so does our, like, getting back to the tulpas, does our collective brain and our imaginations or consciousness, are we creating this stuff? That, to me, is almost more fascinating than... If it's an actual creature, you know, jumping out of the woods, yeah. because it doesn't seem to be. It seems to be almost interdimensional, maybe. So are we opening the door somehow to let these things through so that they can manifest here? We can perceive them? Um, or are they, are they out there all the time and we're just not focused on and we're not paying attention? Well, I know there was a report that the day Michael Jackson died people outside or went to the neverland ranch you know to to pay yep. their respects and i know that people claim to have still seen him walking around in the house on that day now yeah exactly like you said was it that the collective consciousness there was loads of people there they were all thinking about michael and and they were looking into his property trying to see in did they see it because they manifested it like you said exactly we have no way of knowing how much of this we're triggering or instigating. And I believe as, you know, if you if you look into quantum physics and the observer effect, we almost have to be part of that equation. They say that we're only using a small percentage of our brain and our abilities as humans. I wonder if, you know, that is something that I heard one time about uh, uh, how all jellyfish came from this one jellyfish. And it just broke off, but it did have a collective one consciousness sort of thing, you know. Oh, I, that's kind of so, yeah, that's kind of cool. <laughs> thing is, we all came from one thing, or well, two things, but you know, we all did. No matter how you want to look at it, we all started somewhere. Even right. if, even right. if you believe in God or whatever, you know, He did make Eve from Adam's rib, right? So that's one thing. So. I don't know, just a, just a thought. <laughs> I'm, I'm still with the aliens on that one. Yeah, yeah no, I know, but... <laughs> Carl Jung talked and wrote and, and taught and is really known for his concept of the collective unconscious and yeah. the archetypes being symbolic of the universal mind. And we're all connected into that collective unconscious. So they're very well... These ghosts and entities do sometimes have an archetypal quality in that we we all know what a ghost is. You could go to any country on the planet, and they're going to have a, some type of ghost. It might not be called ghost, but, but they, they know will what know you exactly mean. what it is. <laughs> and I just I have a hard time not believing that the collective mind and consciousness is not behind it. I think that we're strong enough that if we are all expecting to see something, we will see it. Now, maybe not everybody. I know that on, like I've been on some paranormal ghost hunts, if you will, where I never saw a thing. I tend to be kind of skeptical, daughter of a scientist. You know? But the guy standing next to me is like, oh, no, it's right there. It's right there. And that also got me thinking that maybe as individuals, you know, our physiology is involved. So, for example, somebody who has different 
levels of brain chemicals or hormones or their different age or they have a different blood type or what have you. You know, maybe some of those things can explain why someone sees something and the person standing next to them doesn't. So there's so many different mysteries here to try to solve. That's yeah. an int- interesting one, though. I never really um, heard about that before. But It makes you wonder, really, whether someone who is sceptical is just that person you were just talking about who maybe always stands next to someone who sees it but never sees it themselves. It's like a gene. Yeah, and it be something as simple as the pharmaceuticals you're taking or what you had for dinner, you know, because our brain chemicals are all – we have the same – chemicals we have the same hormones but we have different levels different levels yeah yeah absolutely. well right the other night i saw a mechanical spider <laughs> in, in, in the bedroom and i and i was i woke myself up actually talking about it going look don't you see it look and of course you, you were just like, uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, but, I didn't even register that i thought yeah there's definitely not a mechanical spider in the bedroom i'm good <laughs> Well, we hope not. I yeah. know that uh, they have those little um, mechanical mosquitoes and flies that are like teeny tiny drones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With little spy cameras. Maybe you guys were being spied on. Hey, hey actually, you might be onto something there because be- some of the subjects that we cover, we could well be. <laughs> it could have been a exactly. spider with well, eight prosthetics. smash it. If there's a little camera inside, you'll know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll definitely be getting, getting my um, swatter thing out. We, we got one of them electric shock, like tennis racket things. I don't know if you've ever seen those. We, where... we don't really have them back home. Yeah, you don't have them back I home. No, I have a good old-fashioned fly spider. Yeah. Oh, these are brilliant. You've Never got a little button it. on the side, and it electrifies the whole thing. And then when you when you swipe at something, it like it swipes it and it electrocutes it. It's it, fantastic. It looks oh like God. it looks like a tennis racket. Yeah, that's actually good in case somebody breaks in your house. You, know? <laughs> yeah. you don't have a gun. Just yeah, because it doesn't feel good when it's uh... like taser. <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. They'll leave the house with one side looking like a waffle. <laughs> they will never come back to your house again no definitely not (laughs) now i know that you cover the people if you like that haunt but you also talk about some haunted locations one of which really interests me and that's the stanley hotel the one that the hotel that actually inspired the shining stephen king's the shining that now that is one of those examples to me where what came first the legend (laughs) yeah or the hauntings and that's another perfect example if a, of a the reason why I use the word notorious is because they're well known and they can be places where you know negative hauntings or poltergeist activity or what have you or positive, but they're notorious in a sense that they're known very widely and often in a negative sense because they're scary to so many people. But with the Stanley here in San Diego, we have the Hotel Del Coronado and the Whaley House with these really widely known hotels, motels, inns, what have you, prisons, asylums, sanatoriums, you name it. There's so many places. Is it that they are truly haunted and always were? Or is it the attention that has been put upon them what has created the ongoing alleged paranormal activity? Because, again, I know people that have gone to many of these locations and not had anything happen at all. And I know other people that came back and said, oh, my God, you know, my hair was tugged and somebody kicked me. And um, on the fifth floor, somebody was throwing pebbles. That, for some reason, is a big one. Pebble throwing. Mm. Who knows why? But I've heard that so many times, especially with like hospitals, abandoned hospitals, sanatoriums. I always wonder if maybe that has something to do with children throwing things, you know, to try to say, I'm here. But that's, you know, a lot of these places have become wonderful tourist spots too. And they have their haunted tours. And so, you know, half of me thinks, yeah, okay, fine. They may very well be. And the other half thinks, well, it's almost like, you know, the haunted houses that you go into at Halloween that are, are all uh, just set up to scare you. But I can't say. I have not been to the Stanley, um, but it's like 50-50 with people that I know that have been there. 
It's interesting how we all love to be scared. Oh, I think it's fundamental to our nature. And I think it's also a way to, for us, you know, ghosts and ghost stories and hauntings, we get to vicariously experience fear without ever really getting hurt. Because it's very, very rare, except in some poltergeist cases or exorcisms where somebody says, you know, the ghost beat me up or hurt me, or you might get some little scratches on your body as their way of saying, hey, we're here. But I think it's just like going to those creepy haunted houses at Halloween. We live with so much fear in our everyday lives that we almost need an outlet to get that fear out. And that's why we love this stuff. It's like a safe outlet. Well, it goes back to those chemicals that you were talking about earlier in our bodies, because obviously it gives you an adrenaline rush, doesn't it? You know, you you speak to people that are police officers and firemen and and all the rest of it, and you say, you know, how can you do the thing that you're doing? And you'd know this as as a CERT member yourself. You know, why do you do these things that you do? And they say, initially, the first thing they say is, well, because it helps people. You know, it's, I, you know, I wouldn't like to think of my father or mother or whatever being in that situation without someone to help so of course i want to help but when you start delving deeply they say well yeah the adrenaline as well you know if i have a slow day i really notice it you know i i I notice that my mood is is so much lower when i've had a slow day yeah yeah i think i think your body just gets addicted to that you know high cortisol levels and and that in itself you know high cortisol levels high adrenal burnout and you know, lack of proper melatonin production so that you're experiencing insomnia. And some people have such bad insomnia that they have hallucinations. So our bodies and our chemicals and our our own health could be contributing to some of the things that we perceive. I, I don't like to say see, because we might not actually be seeing them so much as perceiving them and that again explains why somebody standing next to us doesn't doesn't perceive it so yeah definitely another thing too is i think really when you get down to the bottom of all of this is we want to know that there's something after we die even if it's ghostly and scary and we sort of have labeled what we think happens to us after we die as being this ghostly activity that you know we're no longer physically manifested in full form. We're we're see through. We're ethereal. We float around. We don't necessarily have to walk on the ground. People say, oh, you're wearing robes and and white flowing gowns, which is associated with the idea that maybe you you've gone to heaven or the other place. So I think that this is our way of processing the fear of death and the desire to get proof that there's another side. I think people that see their loved ones after they die, that can be very comforting, way more than frightening. I mean, unless you hated your relatives, that's a very comforting thing. It's like, oh, I miss them. I wish they were still here. Like we with a lot of celebrities, you know, people that love Elvis and John Lennon and all of these famous people, they still want them to be here. But seeing the ghost is is a comfort. It's something that they can take with them that's comforting. Yeah, and I I like what you said as well about the fact that, you know, you'll be hanging out on a beach and that sort of stuff. It would be nice to think that you could sort of get around and do maybe the things you never got a chance to do. Mind you, I don't hold much stock in the type of tan you'd get. At least you wouldn't get sunburned either. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. But yeah, doing the things that maybe you didn't get a chance to do, you know, going and seeing the places you didn't get a chance to see, you know, I'd love to go to like Machu Picchu or somewhere like that and have a look at some of these places. It'd be nice to think that your bucket list can continue after you've kicked the bucket. The other thing that's weird, though, is it almost negates heaven in a way, doesn't it? Because, or maybe not, maybe it's what you perceive heaven to be, maybe for you that skipping and going all over the place and seeing stuff would be what you want to do maybe you do have a choice you know yeah, but you, then you told me if if anything ever happens to me to come back and let you know and and all right i'll send you a postcard yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be interesting but here's you know you bring up another good point though is if on the other side we have the ability to make those choices and and travel freely you know why why are 
wonderful, beautiful places, not more haunted. Mm. Why are always the same old abandoned houses and hospitals and places that you would think that you yourself would never want to hang around? And that kind of plays into the idea that the trauma that occurred there, the energy was so intense that it was not able to dissipate and, and it leaves behind that imprint on that particular location. And another possible explanation for all of this is if there are parallel or alternate universes that are, you know, we're always being told there are parallel universes and other dimensions of reality. Well, are ghosts actually proof that people are alive in some of these other universes or realities and we're just getting glimpses of them? Uh, and maybe they're doing the same with us. They're getting glimpses of us on this side, and they're really not dead. They've just moved into another, you know, dimension, another level of reality. Mm, yeah, a different frequency or something like that. Right, exactly. So there's a whole host of different possible explanations. You know, why why do you not hear about ghosts of certain celebrities at all? Yeah. Did they die? Were they perfectly happy with where they were and they didn't want to come back? You know, a lot of it doesn't make sense, but we like to try to make sense of what we have to, to work with. Yeah. So going back to your book then, tell us a little bit about the Ted Bundy. Oh, you like the serial killers, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Bella does. Oh my God. Bella's, Bella's really into that sort of thing. Of all the things to talk about. Ah! Well, it's interesting, <laughs> though, because we have done a show ourselves, just me, Shelly, and, and my son, where we were just talking about this sort of thing. So, yeah, it'd just be interesting to see how it ties into your book. Well, the funny thing is with serial killers, you you would expect, you know, all of their victims die traumatically. So you would expect there to be a lot of ghosts around them. And Ted Bundy's childhood home is said to be haunted by him, uh, or people believe that it might be him. Basically, they hear, but it could be other victims too, because mm. some people have seen the words, help me, on a basement window. They've heard footsteps. They've heard the word leave or seen it drawn on the floor. There's been furniture that seems to move on its own. They actually had um, a couple of pastors that came in and sort of did a, a home cleansing, almost like an exorcism, because they were doing Bible verses as they went from room to, to room to try to clean out the negative energy. They had Christian music going, but it still seems to be sort of a hotbed of that negative trapped energy. So not so much Ted Bundy walking through the house but just that kind of awful uh, foreboding, something really awful happened here. And there's, you know, other serial, serial killers that have that same situation where people report just feeling something foreboding, sort of a negatively charged uh, energy. Makes you wonder, hey, did these people who became serial killers, did they live in this house and did they see sort of stuff like that? And then it plays a part in them psychologically. Yeah, it could be. I mean, who knows how these people grow up and become who they, you know, become. But there's was one serial killer named Herb Baumeister who burned and buried 11 male victims on his farm. And he is said to haunt the farm, but they also people have also reported all kinds of sounds and moving things and dogs that growl at nothing, you know, and new owners that came in and began having nightmares and electrical issues. So again, is that a situation where it's the serial killer's negative energy that's left behind? the victims, or maybe a combination of the two. I mean, certainly serial killers and their victims are both suffering tremendous trauma on both sides of the fence. It's just the one you can empathize with. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, we just, we have a hard time empathizing with serial killers, but like you said, we have no idea what got them to that point. You mentioned about the electricity and, and that sort of stuff being affected as well. Electricity doesn't to, to our knowledge, have a consciousness or anything like that. So the electricity wouldn't be perceiving something 
So that makes it, certainly to me, makes it seem that there is something external that's actually triggering it, and it's not a perception from someone. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Some kind of electromagnetic shift or, uh, you know, and you hear that a lot with poltergeist cases mm. where, you know, the electricity will go off or computers will just glitch or what have you. And we know that, you know, energy affects energy. So if those imprints of that horrible negative energy are there, I can see it affecting gadgets and uh, TVs and computers. And there's actually a term, spirits in the wires, that a lot of times you'll hear people that are paranormal investigators talk about how often their technology and their gadgets just glitch on them. Sometimes when they're talking about the subject matter to somebody, that's happened to me too. It happened when I was working on a book about demons and the devil. Ooh. It was like, forget it. You know, every time I, I tried to get something done, there were glitches and I'd have to have my son come and fix some this or that. But, but yeah, it does kind of indicate that there are external forces. We also have evidence that there are the internal physiological forces going on. And, you know, boom, when the two collide, we have paranormal activity. Yeah. You mentioned in the book as well about some of the curses. For instance, you mentioned a curse surrounding the Matrix. Now, I don't know anything about that, so I am intrigued to learn about the curse surrounding the Matrix. What's all that about? Yeah, you know, that's not necessarily um, a haunting, but I found it fascinating that a lot of um, movie sets and, you know, television show sets are, were haunted. And people actually died on some of them. Some of the most notorious is, you know, The Omen and The Exorcist. Those are movies that you would expect. Poltergeist, one of the worst. The young actress uh, that was the little girl ended up dying under very mysterious circumstances. So those are those are the types of movies that you feel like, oh, maybe you shouldn't make something like that. <laughs> you're, you're opening up a, a you know, Pandora's box there, but with the Matrix, apparently, um, so the Keanu Reeves, who we all know and love, starred in the movie while they were filming. His girlfriend Jennifer Syme died. Uh, she died later in a car accident, but she had earlier given birth to a stillborn child. This also happened during filming. Uh, we all know that Alea, the pop star died 22 years of age in a plane crash during filming. Gloria Foster, who played the Oracle, died during filming. Reeves himself had a very bad motorcycle accident. He was in the hospital. The production ran out of money, and he had to put in quite a, a bit of money. So it just seemed like right from the get-go, that movie you know, just had a lot of negative energy attached to it. And I mean, if you look at it, it's really a, a seminal movie about the government and mind control, all the kind of stuff the government would prefer that probably. I mean, that was a very controversial movie in that it was about waking up from sort of being asleep to all of the ways that we are trapped in the matrix, you know, and taking the red pill or the blue pill. And so if you think about it, even though it wasn't a horror movie, I think it was controversial enough that it may be attracted either some funny business from, you know, outside sources or um, just that negative energy. It just seemed like it was cursed, but in a different way that may be something like um, poltergeist where you had, you know, people feel like there was a, a negative presence on the set, same thing with The Exorcist, <clears throat> The Omen, Rosemary's Baby. So, yeah, just it's interesting. But then you had a TV show called The Ghost Whisperer with Jennifer Love Hewitt, which was a very sweet, positive show. And they reported some ghostly activity, too, although it wasn't negative. Nobody died, just doors closing and opening and things like that. So the spirits seem to be watching, whether it's a uh, sweet tv show or a horror movie do you think that it's almost going back to this whole tolper idea again the idea that enough if enough thought is put into something then it can almost manifest do you think that maybe there's an element of if you're writing your book about demons for instance that suddenly something will will more likely manifest when you're talking about the matrix and and mind control that maybe 
things will start happening and like the law of attraction almost yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) you know uh, firsthand experience when I was writing the demon book I was terrified because I didn't think you know when I went into it I was a little concerned like oh I've never written about something this dark before it ended up being absolutely fascinating book to research and write but I had a number of very well-known people in the paranormal field warn me not to do it because they said I would be attracting demonic energy. And so I was really scared. The truth is nothing bad ever happened except a lot of computer glitches and cell phone glitches. And I remember also being told that one of the ways that the forces on the other side kind of communicate is by screwing up our technology because our technology is so important to us. What a great way to, you know, to make an impact. Yeah. Yeah. I totally think if you're on a movie set and you're making a really creepy, horrifying movie that everybody is operating that sort of high adrenaline fear um oh my god is something bad gonna happen Mm. or we heard about the curses on you know this movie 10 years ago could that happen here and that brings the power of suggestion and expectation into it i'm not going to mention the name of the author or the book because of this situation but which i'll tell you about now but we were going to interview a lady about a book that she'd written on demonology. Within the book, it talks about the fact while she was writing the book, she collapsed and almost died. Oh, my gosh. But on the day that we were supposed to be recording the interview, she messaged us and said, I'm really sorry, I can't do the interview. My husband has now collapsed on the jog. So she collapsed while she was writing the book on the jog. And then on the day that they were supposed to do the interview with us, her husband collapsed on a jog. She hasn't been back to us since. So um, we're not going to... We're not going to push. Yeah, yeah we're is. not going to push her on that, and I'm not going to mention or say her name or the name of the book because if what you're saying is correct, you know, if if this whole idea that we could give energy to negative forces by talking about them or whatever, then um, yeah, maybe. Well, we Well, they say if you're going to go looking for it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Other than all of the technological stuff, which really annoyed me because mm. there were days that I couldn't write, like have deadlines to meet. I didn't have anything like that happen. And what I realized, too, is that, you know, when you do a lot of research into, like, even writing this book, ghosts and the paranormal, demons and all of that, you know, if you are sort of taking it from an objective, almost journalistic approach, Mm. I don't think that you're insulting, like, if, if these entities are sentient. And they have feelings, you know, you're not really insulting them. You're presenting information. I also felt like, well, I'm really presenting information that's already out there. So they're not going to come after me. They'll go after the original. (laughs) But I think everybody has different experiences because the people that warned me were people that I respect very, very much. And, um, you know, they weren't joking with me. They were telling me, just be careful, don't ever say the names out loud of the demons, and I never did. You know, I'm not an idiot. (laughs) I'm not going to go looking for it. But, uh, yeah, that book was really interesting. This one was a lot more fun. Yeah, we can't wait to get our hands on it, because obviously we've read about the book to to be able to obviously have this conversation with you, but we have pre-ordered it. It is available here in the UK on September the 12th. I presume it's available at all good bookshops, etc.? Yes, online and off. What formats is it in? You know, it is right now in print and digital, um, but eventually it will be audio book as well. I think it just takes a little longer for that to happen. Absolutely. Well, I know that from from looking at the online reviews, etc., that the reaction to it has been absolutely brilliant. I know that you've got some really good quotes from from some pretty interesting uh, people who are in the know. We've got Publishers Weekly did you a fantastic review. Halo Paranormal Investigations did you a good review. The good reviews are coming in, so we, we can't wait to get our hands on this, and I'm, I'm sure that our listeners would enjoy it too. It's a fun book, and I think it's really surprising to find out that there are so many haunted locations out there, and those are just the ones that I could fit into this one book. 
Yeah, I mean, just to go through some of the names, you've got, obviously, as you said, Elvis Presley, John Lennon, Frank Sinatra, Hank Williams, Abraham Lincoln, Houdini, uh, Marilyn Monroe, Prince Edward V. I mean, there's there's a whole load of, of people in here. It's uh, a nice big cross-section. It's not the usual, as you said, the white lady that everyone sees. This is, right, this is right. people the that... The typical white lady. <laughs> exactly. People can identify with a lot of these because they know who you're talking about, so they can obviously picture the ghosts themselves, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It's really just full. I packed it as full as I possibly could. And again, there were so many things that I had to leave out that it just broke my heart. So I thought, well... If I get to do a second edition, um, but it just goes to show you that all over the world, there are just so many haunted places, ghosts, urban legends, you know, right in your own backyard. So that that's really fascinating to me. Absolutely. Um, where can people get hold of you if they need to? Uh, well, my website is mariedjones.com and I'm on Facebook, Marie D. Jones author. Instagram, marie.d.jones. Twitter, Marie D. Jones. So basically, Marie D. Jones. Yeah. All over the place. Google Marie D. Jones. <laughs> She's everywhere. <laughs> yep. Brilliant. All right. Well, thank you very much again for your time. Really do appreciate you spending the time with us and telling us about your new book. And obviously, as you know, you're always welcome to come back and tell us about your second edition or anything else you're working on in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm so pleased to be on again with you guys. You take care. Look after yourself. You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.